Welcome to Outlaws. I'm Claire Lim, your host of this podcast. I interview former lawyers and law students who've now moved on to cooler things. This week, I speak to Joe Fan. He's the head of special projects at one of Malaysia's largest telecommunications companies, Digi. I'm Joe Fan, and I am currently a dad, a husband, uh, working as a head of special projects of Malaysia's Telco. And I guess depending on how you know me from my youth, you may know me also as I guess the kid who got arrested at birthday to a uh, student activist, a uh, founding member of Ken Law, a legal tech startup, uh, and probably during uni, um, the guy who does everything else except studying. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of things to unpack. Um, so maybe let's start with like your most recent, uh, like what you're currently doing. So you're mm. head of special projects at uh, one of the major telcos. Um, mm. What exactly do you do? Because mm. you know, head of special projects is su- it, it's such a wide ranging and, and quite a flashy yeah. title as well, I think. So maybe yeah. it'll help to expand a bit on what you do on a day-to-day basis. The title means everything and nothing at the same time. Uh, it's, a, it's a very vague role. I think this role was also recently created for me to a certain extent to undertake a few uh, like a specific role, uh, basically. So, um, I mean, I think you can probably see me as like an internal management consultant. So, uh, I, my role involves a lot of things. I start from R&D, R&D for new digital businesses um, that, that we could, as a telco, go into as well. There's non-telco related for extra revenue, that kind of stuff, new, new business ventures. So, um, I also recently have uh, projects that look into automating certain of the ex- existing manual processes that's on, that, that, that is being done by the, the teams right now internally um, with our expertise, with our tech, tech expertise. And also, I guess there are product projects as well, internal products to roll out. One example is uh, the, the one I'm working on is probably setting up uh, and building a new EKYC platform for the telco itself, um, that kind of thing. So it, it ranges from product management to R&D and to just like problem solving in general for uh, anything and everything that I guess my bosses uh, want uh, me to go in to solve lah. So that, that's kind of what the role is about. It's, it's, it's vague in many senses, but it's also kind of crafted for me because I guess they see my how I add value in doing just random things. And I, I mean, for me also, I, I actually like just doing different things at the same time. And I don't like doing one thing for a long time. I'll get bored really quickly. Wow, it sounds like you have, like you do everything. You're like the guy who people need to go to if they want something new done, whatever it is. Yeah. Is that... Right? And can say that it's like a, I'm a jack of all trades, but probably a master of none of them. But I can get the things done, lah. <laughs> you know, you know just enough about everything to be able yeah. to get something, to lead something, and manage something. Correct, correct. You said this role was crafted for you. That's quite. I mean, it sounds like everyone's dream, right? To have like a, a job where it's just made for you that is perfectly fit for mm. your personality. How mm. long did it take you to to get here? Were you in the company for uh, quite a long time before they sort of realized your value add and decided to craft this role for you? Mm, that's a very good question. I mean, not really. Actually, I think I'm just very fortunate to have bosses who are very hands-on. I only am in my company right now. I'm, I'm currently within my third year. So it's... I. For me to get here to my the, the position that I mentioned about, it probably took me two years. But that's also because my bosses, I mean, uh, I, I started off in the innovation division, which I still am parked under right now. And in that division, I mean, it was, it was like a startup arm of our telco itself. Like, and 
And the team is small, it's flat. I have a lot of airtime with my bosses directly. So, I mean, in that sense, we have a very good relationship. So they, they watch me work on furious roles and they, they actually give a lot of direct feedback. I have like one-of-one one with my, at that time, chief digital officer, like uh, very often, at least once a quarter. Uh, and he randomly just dra- drags me down to, I mean, for coffee or whatnot, for a walk, to have chats, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have really good hands-on bosses who I guess are bothers enough to, to spot and develop talent, I would say. I think I learned a lot from as well in terms of that from, from my boss. So you started off in the innovation department. Was it a, a newly set up department which you just joined or or were you recruited directly to set up the department or what, what was the situation like when you joined? Uh, I, I think when I joined, it was already that two years in and then they had a new product that they needed some digital marketing help with. And at that point of time, I happened to be I mean, just kind of out of a job because uh, our startup didn't really work out, which is probably something we can delve into later. But uh, at that point, I was looking, looking for a job and then my friend was looking there and said, hey, we have a role for digital marketing. You were here marketing previously for a startup. Why don't you come and join us? I mean, now yeah, I was thinking it's quite interesting now because at that point of time also, I just got married and then thinking about family and all that. The idea of working in a startup environment and like then also had a balance of like a corporate was quite attractive to me as well. So... I thought, yeah, let's see how far I can go here. Uh, let's, let's join it and see how I can add, uh, uh, add value to the product they have and the project they have as well. So, so when I joined itself, I was a digital marketing specialist only, and but then um, kind of like worked my way around those projects from there. Like, even, even then, uh, because of how we are structured, I was already doing a bit of everything. Um, that's kind of how I, I, I ended up joining uh, the innovation department. The first project I had was working on a new fintech product uh, it was like a virtual mastercard thing it didn't work out uh, like a lot of our projects as well but in part and parcel of our our like bread and butter you sound very passionate when you're talking about your job i don't even have to prompt you to ex- expound on anything so i i'm just wondering when you chose this when you chose to go into this role i know your friend introduced you and everything uh, but was uh, there some sort of you know some things that you were looking for in a company that particularly attracted you to where you are now because it sounds like culture and your bosses uh, and having good mentors play a very big part in uh, how you've managed to get to where you are right now mm, so i think so these are things that i think a lot of these we want all these things but not all of them you can actually uh, be able to assess from the get-go or before you even accept the offer. For me, the first thing I saw in this job or this environment was the culture itself. Like, I felt that I came from a startup background. I am the kind of guy who likes change, that, like, um, things to change very often and try new things, fail at it, and have that kind of freedom to create and to, and to think. So for me, it, the first attraction point for me was that uh, in terms of the culture. So that's one big reason why I joined and secondly, also because I felt that it's a kind of a good balance. I've done the startup thing. I've been very broke. <laughs> and, uh, and we have that creative environment, but also has the stability of big corporate, the support behind it. I don't have to think so much about raising funds to do these things or, uh, or, or how, do, how do we bootstrap uh, through a certain thing. I mean, we still save money, but not in the, the startup kind of way, right? So to mm-hmm. me, that's good balance in terms of the financials as well, because I was going into uh, getting married and doing a family and all that. So that was nice as well kind of best of both worlds. So that's why I joined. But then I'm very fortunate when I joined as well to actually have a lot of really good um, people to work with that are as driven, motivated and bosses who are as uh, good as they were. So I mean, I'm very fortunate to have mm. that and, and actually then further kept me there until today. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have a personality that it's very, you know, you like to try new things all the time. It's very difficult yes. to just be set in, in one project. So I'm curious as to why you decided to study law. Because ah, it is... Yeah. 
<laughs> it's quite different, right? Usually, yeah. um, I mean, I'm generalizing, but people yeah. who tend to study law, studious, um, mm. like certainty, quite risk cautious. So mm. maybe walk me through what was the thinking at the time when you decided to pursue uh, your law degree, uh, whether you mm. actually did see yourself as a lawyer coming out mm. from the law degree. Uh, fantastic segue. I think, um, yeah, very good question. I think that's something that many people ask as well. I think even before I decided to do law, I, this is this one my personality. I guess it was shocking for a lot of people that decided to do law as well. But really, I think the law thing, um, I think I mentioned a bit earlier on with the guy who got arrested in, in first day two, I was 18 years old. I think that part of the time, I was also very, I mean, as I still am, I mean, interested in uh, passionate about social justice and human rights issues and think that time uh, yeah I got arrested myself or even locked up for only for a night I mean not for a night for half a night um, and that was where I met a lot of uh, human rights lawyers think that uh, it's just quite inspiring for me at that point of time where everyone's just inside trying to fight for something for uh, um, free and fair elections and then the guys that actually helped me get all this out uh, human rights lawyers working hard uh, through the night and all that and I thought wow that's pretty that's something that I mean is uh, quite inspiring, like something that I want to be able to do to be able to, to help people uh, in that way as well, those who are oppressed and those who uh, who need help. It's because of that experience I got to know a lot of human rights lawyers. I got dragged into a lot of uh, NGOs, human rights NGOs, uh, I guess activism, uh, civil society uh, activities and all that. I met even more young people involved in like this human rights uh, advocacy kind of work uh, and also a, a democracy, I mean, education on constitution and, 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 uh, and basically uh, civil rights. Last. So, I mean, that's when I got really involved in that NGO scene. And that's my influence circle was basically human rights lawyers. And that was when I, I decided, like, yeah, I think this is something I really want to do. At the time I was in college. So um, at the time of, after college or so one year, I wanted, needed to choose what I want to do next. At that point of time, I guess... Um, I was very clear that oh, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do law uh, and I'm going to do, I want to be a human rights lawyer and I want to craft my, my, my path towards um, this, this goal. Of course, around, I mean, again, this, this circle of the guys who taught me about how uh, you could change laws in the courts even without being an MP. It's a lot more than, than just um, voting uh, every five years, something you can do every, uh, on a daily basis in educating and activating people. I think those things are, um, very inspiring for me, and and, and, and I guess um, the time also the Malaysian bar was very active in, in this kind of issues, and it was quite inspiring for me, lah. So that was where I decided. So uh, next the, the following year, I, I I started law school with this uh, goal in mind, lah. Yeah. And what was your experience like in law school? Do you think that it lived up to your uh, ideals? Doing law, I mean, honestly, I love. I, I still like law. I like, and it did actually. I like what I was doing there. I like. Um, in fact, unlike most people, my favorite uh, subject was public law. Uh, so, uh, I think that's so, the most interesting one, though. Uh, yeah, I know, but a lot of people are like, oh, that's the most boring one. But it's the usual uni experience, uh, But for me, it was also. I mean, law school itself is more than that. I was involved in mooting, and I guess. In mind, uh, and, and a lot of all these other, I guess, uh, human rights, I mean, human rights related activities as a law students, I get to get involved in as well. And they have, uh, I was involved in my constitution, which is the um, Constitutional Law Committee of Bar Council, that I'm open to law students as well. And I mean, it was great. People were just talking about how, yeah, it's a noble profession where you get to, where one of our, uh, we are the only ones that is uh, basically taking the law to defend um, justice without, without pity or favor, that kind of thing. I guess as a, young idealistic law student that was all the kind of like well very avengers kind of thing right and mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm. exciting to do a very um, noble calling kind of thing i guess yeah if with that youthful idealism i was actually enjoying law school a lot in fact i built um, i also took uh, of course uh, because of that i also started building uh, asasi the internship program as part of kqm uh, and which is basically a human rights 
Malaysian Human Rights uh, lawyer, uh, Law Internship Program with all my uh, human rights lawyer connections for students as well. Then do a little movement out of that. Uh, then I put over KPUM as well, kind of driven that idea, uh, the idea of, of, of justice uh, and also human rights um, around how I built the, the KPUM, rebuilt KPUM from, I guess, when it was a bit in that. And that was, that was my uni life. Like, it was pretty exciting, fun, and that was what I brought. That was the idea I brought through with me as I undertook all those activities. Yeah, and uh, KPUM. Uh, just mm. just so that we uh, a clear description of it is, um, right. how would you describe it? Yeah, so basically the Malaysian law students uh, group lah in 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 UK lah uh, for all of us who are study law in the UK. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that was the, so, I guess the platform so, I used for my student activism. Lah. Yeah, so you were when you finished law, uh, finished law school, you did the you did the bar as well, right? Um, yeah, I did the bar and the CLP. So you did everything you could possibly, all the degrees you could possibly have um, to become a practicing lawyer. So what happened after that? Where is that shift? Uh, yeah, funny story. I was like, when I was, there was a time where I was waiting for my CLP results to come out. So it was quite free. Um, at the point of time, your friends said, hey, I know these guys were starting a legal tech startup uh, to basically um, help people find lawyers, open access to justice. Sounds like your kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, that's not like my kind of thing. That's the whole tech creativity part and there is a law part as well. So I didn't think much last since I was free then. Just joined as like um, an not really intern kind of thing. Not really. I mean, it wasn't a full commitment kind of role yet. I started off seeing how I can help them raise funds, the first pre-seed round and all that. Um, craft out the first MVP product and all that. So that's how I joined lah. So, um, yeah, so that's how I joined uh, and uh, it kind of stuck. So we raised funds. I was like, you know what? I could do this a bit longer than 30 floor later. Do my, uh, do my pupillage later. Why not? Um, so I continued doing it. Uh, I took out a full role, uh, kind of like a founding team role uh, where I was uh, head of marketing and uh, communications. And uh, we just tried to build the, the product and the startup uh, from there. Lah. So um, that's where it started. Um, built a kind of a huge team with a lot of interns. Um, with more funds, and then eventually we got banned. <laughs> the long story short is we got banned, even though uh, we actually applied even before we started uh, registering as a company, but we haven't got any response from the bar council. And uh, suddenly they just decided to send a cease and desist letter, and then we went on a whole like um, uh, there's a lot of drama uh, in there, like uh, back and forth like, with the regulators like, um, who doesn't seem to understand um, um, technology uh, very well, uh, even I think up to today. So so that was that was when I mean well long I mean it's a, it's, it is a long story I can go into but I guess um that was when then um uh, I didn't have a job and then I decided not to be a uh a lawyer there's a few things I would say um basically mm-hmm. uh red flags I would say that that I decided at one that point of time okay now I I know I'm am I supposed to go back to do uh law or should I do something else right so I mean there were there were many things that happened in between. Uh, if you don't mind, it's gonna take some time. <laughs> no, I so, mean, I, I feel uh, like you've 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 gone over, you've kind of yeah. uh, glossed over it in the in the interest of time. But I actually mm. would like to hear more about your your challenges uh, with the Can Law startup. I mean, um, you know, it 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 sounded like an amazing when when I first saw it as well when you were first talking about it um mm. a few years back. It sounded mm. like an amazing product which was trying to increase access to justice. So. 
I think I'd be interested to hear about how you started, what the highs were in that journey and what the low points were, uh, how it impacted on your uh, self-esteem and how you saw the legal profession. I appreciate a lot of questions. So maybe let's just start with um, <laughs> what the highs and the lows were in that Ken Law journey. The highs and the lows. Okay, so the high, highs were um, definitely the excitement of actually building something that is potentially a, a, a solution for a huge gap in the market. Because nowadays, if you want to find lawyers, you need to ask your friends' friends, and then that friend's friend probably isn't practicing the area of law that you want. You want to find help for as well. As, um, so it's, there's a huge gap there, uh, and it's an obvious solution that for every other industry, there's already a solution that like you can find the aircon repairment as easily as through your app, but you can't find a lawyer that easily, which is which is an issue not just for business, but also an access to justice issue. So for me, I was very, very um, kind of focused on actually that goal. Well, finally, we're going to build this thing and be able to solve this problem, right? And and we were working towards that. The highs were definitely the fact that we rolled out our MVP and our first few iterations. And a lot of lawyers were, were younger lawyers were excited about it. And the market especially, because I was doing digital marketing, right? Uh, so um, we were pushing ads out to people, asking. People, a lot of people were writing in to ask questions, to, to sign up, to find a lawyer. We were actually doing it already, a bit manually because we haven't raised enough funds. So, but we got a very good response and it was very exciting at the point of time. Another sub high is that uh, we were also, in terms of for marketing my end, we were building like a little publication, kind of like a space or a, or a world of buzz, but for law. Uh, that was something that was like a side passion that I have that we only use. To, to promote can law as well that, that went pretty well as well it was very uh, well in the market and in the in on, online and a lot of people were reading our articles trying to dumb down complex law issues into memes and and uh, that kind of thing so that was really fun as well i would say those were the, the, definitely the highs except which brings me to the low the legal profession itself bar council the regulators themselves uh, who seem to take all this as a in a more hostile manner than we imagine. I think personally, as I mentioned earlier, I was very inspired for the longest time by the work that the Bar Council was doing in terms of civil rights and human rights advocacy and all that. Uh, and a lot of these guys, the same guys are the guys who were co-signing all these and these letters uh, towards Ken Law and, and uh, responding, um, uh, responding in a I mean, less than kind manner. I mean, on the other side, like, was quite, quite, I guess, as a young, fresh grad, quite distressing for me to watch as well. So that was where, I, was, I mean, I slowly started to rethink, or I saw the reality of adulthood started to hit and uh, help me rethink uh, about legal profession in general, like what are these people actually fighting for? And, and also, other than that, I, I started thinking again, because uh, not just in terms of the regulators, there were also a lot of, uh, when we law firms we approach, it was tough to sell these things to them because of how the way they see technology as, uh, not as an investment, but as a cost. And how, when they talk about how they run the firm, I mean, I kind of had a bird's eye view of how the, the industry uh, was being run uh, in general. On the contrast side, I was also having a lot of exposure because we were raising funds and being in communities and all that of how startups and businesses are run as businesses as well, uh, how they treat their employees. And, and then start, I started seeing the contrast on both sides. I guess in a sense, I was quite fortunate to be able to be exposed to, I guess, the realistic, I guess, day-to-day operations of both kind of uh, the, the, the law and the non-law business. La. And, and, and I started rethinking a lot of things during that period of time. Yes, there was some disappointment on people I respected, but also secondly, I also started seeing some real red flags in the, in the industry, how it might not fit my character, as you mentioned earlier, that people 
changes in things and creativity and freedom to do things differently all the time. It's not something that that these guys will take um, very openly, <laughs> I would say. And but and another thing, I guess I think I mean that there were three three main red flags. So. The, the first another so the first one is definitely the, I, I think uh, in this process as well as I mentioned we're running like a little publication right um, what we called it and then there was once we actually did a full survey where we actually put in resources to survey young lawyers and pupils in Malaysia uh, we actually we actually got a sample size of almost a thousand respondents on the working conditions as a young lawyer uh, yeah that was mind-blowing I was like let's look at the data I mean I could hear from my friends and all that but let's see what the real condition is um, and I realized that basically the problem with the industry is the economics itself doesn't make any sense because the reality is that it's an insane oversupply of law grad and there's a of course a limited amount of uh, spots available I mean, in terms of uh, jobs so naturally when this happens is a recipe for disaster in a sense where like you, you almost turn into like a commodity because if you don't want this job you're not happy with it somebody else will need to want it it's just a number game I mean I mean that's my conclusion anyways yeah so that's number one it's a red flag for me the economy doesn't make any sense so then they will look at you as almost like a commodity and not so much as a talent to do nature scary mm-hmm. um, then number two is um, yeah then of course there's the observations of all these stories my friends themselves of course uh, while I was doing Ken Law, my friends were already barking on their pupilage their first year and all that kind of stuff. I can observe the difference in the working conditions and and how they are going, how, how their work life is going as compared to mine. And I was like, wow, okay. I mean, yeah, it confirms the theory of the economy. It doesn't make sense. Lah, that's all I can say. Uh, and then, yeah, and of course, the last one is the one I mentioned earlier. Then realized that actually I am, other than the whole human rights thing or the uh, the whole social social justice thing, maybe I'm not that practicing law in Malaysia <laughs> uh, uh, in these conditions. I know, uh, because the thing is, at that point of time also, I, I mean, I was just, I just probably shouldn't be, be doing law because, I mean, there's other ways I can contribute to um, social justice social impact work probably shouldn't be wasting my risking my 20s uh, like uh, my 20s mental health uh, practicing law when I probably could have a, a happy and more fruitful career uh, elsewhere uh, to be able to develop there uh, and yet still be able to make, the, make a difference somewhere so that was like these three main red flags of why I said that you know what oh, yeah maybe definitely I should do something else mm. <laughs> yeah. well, it sounds like you you never really fell out of love with the law as to you know what the law tries to achieve mm. the, like social justice um, mm. you know rule of law democracy mm. etc but just the practice of law and particularly in in Malaysia yeah. you seem to have done a lot of reflection for someone um, at a very young age um, to be able to reach these these decisions to completely leave what you were so passionate about like practicing what you were so passionate about behind so when you were, I know, I mean, you've reasoned it out very well with the one, two, three red flags and stuff. But emotionally, how did it feel to mm-hmm. just let go of this dream of being a human rights lawyer? Ah, uh, yeah. But the thing is, I was actually really forced to do those reflections. Uh, with the things I was, I think I was fortunate enough to take that two plus years in Canada to see these things really clearly. I mean, to me, it wasn't wasted because uh, in that two years, I got to see clearly. Wow what I was thinking I wanted to go into and then be, and then decide on whether uh, this is going to be the next path. So I see that it's quite fortunate to have the opportunity because in, I was in a way forced into doing that. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, to answer your question on um, emotionally, I mean, definitely it wasn't, in, when, when it first uh, happened, uh, it wasn't busy at all. I mean, to, for me, it was, yeah, I mean, 
the first few years, I think even after I guess I having had this kind of encounter, it was mostly about an, a more emotional response. Uh, before I had those rational thoughts. So there wasn't this grand plan of like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to not practice, and then I will do this, and this will lead me to this, and then it will lead me to here. It was more of like a natural, uh, yeah. segue of everything falling into place. I would say it's quite organic, like Yeah, there was no plan. There was no for, for any sort of a quote unquote revenge. No, 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 no such thing. I was just like, okay, this is not for me. Uh, and it's uh. And over the two years, it's proven in many ways why it's not for me. Therefore, I'm going to go back to what I originally, uh, I guess, uh, would say I always wanted to do. Like, I mean, even from high school and all that, I mean, most people know me as that the, the, the type of kind of guy. I want to do creating, creative things. So, I mean, I want to work in your Google, you know, Amazon. So, I mean, yeah, I, can. I always wanted to go back there and might as well. I mean, some, some, probably you're going to be much happier, which uh, turns out it was, I, I, I am. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you have a very strong sense of identity as to the the kind of things that you are interested in that you know you will excel in. But I think not many people do, and especially if you are uh, working. Let's say you became a lawyer and you worked many, many, many hours in a day and don't have time mm. to think about all these mm. things. Do you mm. have any um, tips on like what you would, what someone can do uh, in terms of like trying to? to identify what they are interested in. So I think, I mean, for, for lawyers who want to think about what I said, I think I have a few conversations with a few friends on this as well. It's more important to at least first know whether you really don't want to do this. Uh, and then everything else outside um, in the world, outside the law will really, uh, really up for grabs at this point of time. It doesn't mean that it's not like law where you need a degree to practice it. Um, a lot of things, if you're interested, uh, you might not know you're interested in, in in the first place, but you can pick it up, uh, you can drop it, uh, and you can actually find it as you as you go. Like. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, the thing is, there's no prerequisite for a lot of things outside law, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so you can slowly explore yourself, uh, and if you don't like it, you can stop it and move to the next thing as well. Uh, and uh, what's most important is that... Uh, uh, I would tell them, uh, at least if currently it's a very bad situation, if you stop the bleeding by just quitting, or and and then you can totally figure out from there. You know, you should you don't have to figure out everything before you. Mm. I, I like the point you made about how, you know, actually outside law, there's a lot of things you can do. There are many, many jobs available, yeah. but it can feel there. like yeah, but it can feel, uh, especially, I mean, my, my personal experience was when I went to uni and then I, I became a lawyer and I was like, I don't know any other profession except law, medicine, engineering, uh, accounting. Um, so how would you um, advise, like, what, what is your advice to even start to envision this world outside? Do you speak to more people? Do you uh, just look at jobs on LinkedIn? Uh, what, what should someone do to just widen their horizons on what is out there? I think uh, probably not look at jobs on LinkedIn. That would probably overwhelm you even more <laughs> um, than, than anything uh, that about what you might not know. But I think more important is to start, at least start thinking on what possibly is out there. Speaking to people is a good thing. Uh, although I know that uh, for a lot of uh, law students, lawyers, law grads, you don't have much friends who are not lawyers or law grads. For me, this it's actually a, a department that I'm struggling uh, at as well. And uh, at the moment, most of my friends are still lawyers. Um, but... Um, I think it's good to, to start widening that, speaking to people, uh, see what, what are they doing, what, what kind of jobs exist outside there. Um, 
yeah, at least to start thinking is a good thing rather than I think just a lot of people what they do is that I can't do that because I don't know anything else. I mean, you shouldn't be, be kind of like uh, uh, stuck in that kind of thinking, but just start like opening up to the possibilities of uh, uh, potential um, jobs that are available outside there or, 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 or things, uh, I mean, yeah, things to, to do outside there lah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, my own personal experience was that when I was trying to transition, I didn't know like mm-hmm. what to do, and it felt like every job advert had uh, skills that I didn't have. Like, Correct. oh, we want advanced uh, analytical quantitative skills, like Excel, yeah. SQL, R, Python, yeah. and it yeah. was just absolutely um, overwhelming. Correct. But I guess it was just just make the leap, right? If it's something that you're already really unhappy in and to try mm. something new outside and just just see mm. what's out there speak to a lot of people um but i mean okay, okay. okay. one more thing to add i think yeah. for me right um in terms of that is a good point like the thing a lot as i mentioned earlier if you look at all these jobs uh, that jds you'll be definitely very overwhelmed but see if there are any friends out there who are involved in anything at all and who can actually help uh, i think that that is always um a good any non-law friend who's able to uh, recommend you who vouch for you not in terms of your uh, I guess specific skill set, but I guess character or whatnot is a good place to start. Uh, for, for another in another job or another another field altogether, and I think if you can identify these people, uh, in your network or communities, uh, that would always be a great uh, lead for you. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, connections will help better than you cold emailing an application to a job that you have no qualifications for. Mm. And I think it's right. actually a perfect segue to start talking about the skills that law lawyers and law graduates actually have because mm. I think a lot of people I know have imposter syndrome uh, I'm yeah. not good enough like I don't have this I don't have that but what do we actually have that um, you can see that are transferable in yourself and also in your friends that um, are thinking of making the leap I think it's quite funny uh, because the thing is uh, when we set up a law course everyone will say oh yeah this is the most like super versatile degree to do anything at all but then after you become a lawyer like, I can't do anything else. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's except so Microsoft weird. Word. Except Microsoft Word. Excel is scary. Don't want to see any cells. But I mean the, uh, it's, it's weird. But the thing is it, I think it's true though. I mean what they, what they sell at the first place it is quite versatile. There's a lot of things you can actually do. There are a lot. I think there are at least one or two big um, uh, I guess um uh, transferable skill sets that I think I personally have taken. Uh, but the one main thing is the fact that I, we are trained to be able to process large amounts of information and then kind of internalize them very quickly and apply them to the problem. I mean, that's, that's every law exam ever. I guess uh, also as lawyers and you practice, always there's a new area of law, uh, but uh, you can quickly kind of apply this structure of things. Yeah, everything has general principles, exceptions, procedures, and then you can then craft out uh, somehow of a solution from that kind of structure. I think um, that, that is very transferable. Uh, for me, at least, when I, when I pick up new things, I take new projects, right? It's kind of the same thing as taking a new case in a separate area of law that I've never dealt into. Right, and uh, I think when people see uh, you are able to do that, it's actually quite a valuable skill set you can actually contribute to any team at all. Mm, I agree, and and I feel that firstly, from my first experience of Excel, 
I was, you know, in the exact situation where I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to do anything. Um, I never summed anything before, etc. And I had yeah. to use it. I mean, my career as a management consultant, I have yeah. to use Excel, right? Um, yeah. But actually, when I use it now to do like some fancy statistical analyses, it's actually not that difficult. <laughs> Right, I was like a, surprised. Yeah. I was like, it's just a process, right? It's a process that I've learned for everything else I have to learn is a process. And it's not that you right. not that difficult. Everyone can do it. If you did a law degree, you probably learn stuff quite fast as well. Yeah. So right. you can learn it. Yeah, we learned it. We, we, we went through tracing and trust. Nothing else can actually be harder. Um, <laughs> but it's almost the same. I mean, everything has that process as well. For the math and the Excel thing, a lot of this, I think it's just a mental thing for a lot of people who are lawyers just it just kind of like you you kind of uh, just decide that you are you're really bad at math you can't do excel but most of the time it's not true yeah yeah so how would you advise someone to break that mental block what are the practical steps uh, you can take i think that depends on your personality la. i mean for me i have had uh, my 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 companies have all been i mean we have had access to all coursera and all this uh, linkedin learning and all this for the longest time uh, for all these formal learning but for me personally it's always been just okay you bring the problem in and i'll figure out from there I'll, I'll pretty much the same way i have uh I uh, always preferred my academics the people doing projects and actually studying for exams. So that's how I treat these kind of things as well. And I pick them up. I learn much faster and apply them a lot better than, okay, now I'm going to go through a 12-hour course on Excel and then I'll come out uh, feeling confident about my skills. Um, that's, that's me. La. But I think I think some people, it might be the other way around. Okay, after I get to do this Google Analytics course, only I'm confident that I'm good at digital marketing. Maybe, I don't know. It's up to how you learn. Assume that you're in the position where you are also vetting CVs at this point, yeah. right? And you're hiring yeah. for your team. Yeah. So let's, let's hypothetical scenario. If, you know, someone who is a lawyer who's been practicing for two, three years, that CV comes across your desk for um, a position, like a pretty junior position in your team. What would stand out in a CV like that to you and what made you hire that person? Yeah, this a uh, few, few of these uh, have actually came across. Uh, but and I think as for me, they're not so much about their experience in, in um, law itself, but what else they were doing, what other side things, uh, side passion projects that they have been doing, how they have, that they have been um, student, what else they were involved in. Maybe as a lawyer, you're involved in uh, some committees in the bar as well. What, what is your role there? How do you organize things? How do you... Yeah, so that, that kind of skill set is important. So, of course, on top of that, your willingness to learn is a, is a huge one as well. Because I guess a lot of lawyers will be just afraid, oh, I don't know this, I don't know that. I guess that attitude is very, very important because I, even with people who are, uh, I guess, in the corporate world, a lot of people are, have this perception that lawyers will only know how to do a lot of um, talking, but not so much about... So, that is something that you gotta prove like that not you're not just about all talk and then not much being done. Like. So all these passion projects actually do demonstrate someone's character and skill sets. Yeah, and why what you're interested in, what your values are and what, what your goals are. I mean those are those all add on as well because it shows it shows yeah, in a certain sense it shows character and then we will be able to assess of are you able to then also take on the projects that we throw you. Yeah. Okay, could you maybe share what was one of the most interesting CVs like, in terms of passion projects that have come across your desk that made you like go, wow, okay, this person is actually trying to do something with their spare time. Uh, we want them on, on my team. Uh, they're all skipping my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, not I yet. Of, I mean, there, is, there, there were a few that were quite interesting, but I, I yeah, can't remember at this point. Okay, okay. But like, yeah. you know, having, having I mean, the point I guess is having something besides your yeah. employment experience. I, guess something, I mean, in terms of crafting the CV, it's, it should be something that is not 
Okay, standard law experience. You went to law school, you did PLC, you did four years as a legal associate somewhere. I think that wouldn't bring you very far. Lah. Uh, you probably need to show, I mean, even if that is in fact your career, uh, what else on the side you have done as well? Like even for example, or in, uh, for my firm, but you can say that well, for my firm, I've, I've organized this webinar, uh, we have uh, done this uh, outreach to this, uh, to this community throughout a legal aid program, that kind of stuff. I mean, it will be all interesting uh, to, to conversation starters already. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when I when I transitioned out of my career, I was I didn't know what was what I was gonna do, and so I went back to basics what I was interested in, and then tried mm. to just intern at Kazana Research Institute just as an intern right. um, yeah. to have something else to talk about yeah. besides my legal experience. But yeah. I, I guess you have to be willing to you know go down to entry level. Or yes, uh, that is very important. Yes, absolutely. Uh, There's one thing that for many uh, lawyer friends I speak to as well, I actually tell them for sure. I mean, if you do seriously consider you want to move on and you have been practicing for four, five years, then uh, outside, uh, none of this experience counts as anything. Like, so you you will need to probably at least start from a junior level uh, some uh, from scratch and pick it up from there. And But the thing about um, working in other industries or, uh, is that the seniority, if you are in a good company, wouldn't count as much as what you can bring to the table. So if you can actually pick up all those skills really quickly and start performing and start doing good work, uh, I think you will you will climb back really really quickly, lah. Yeah, and that's a reality, right? You have to take a pay cut. You have to go to entry level. You have to start from scratch, which is quite scary. So uh-huh. this is the part where I want to ask you about, you know, how your your own like early marriage and your I mean you have a child now which is quite early for um, most peers I mean I'm pretty sure most of your friends don't have children yet how would this have affected your decision to not become a lawyer first of all and two how does it affect your current career choices I don't think the lawyer thing has anything to do with this uh, at all even though retrospectively I'm glad that I am not a lawyer because I I have a better work-life balance let's just put it that way lah uh, that, that, that a lot of my peers even right now uh, might not be able to provide for either a family or like a, a time with your spouse or time with your children uh, not something I really want so retrospectively yes I'm glad I maybe am not practicing uh, uh, law right now but at that point of time uh, this wasn't a consideration when I decided like not to be a lawyer but right now with a family uh, with a child and all I think I think um it does definitely very quickly kind of change certain things that certain perspectives I have about a career, specifically time and also money to a certain extent, right? I mean, uh, because you want that stability. Priorities changes because I also want my son to grow up in the best environment. So you have that education thing and all that. Um, but it's also not just so much about the physical environment or the education and all that. For me, it's also I want my, my son to kind of grow up with strong and loving father figure. Right, um, and something I find that the root of many men's problems nowadays. So I want to be, I want to be um present, right? So it's about time as well. So so that 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 time thing is is money. Yes, you want to have stability, financial stability, but also time. So uh, I in terms of career, uh, then I wanting to find a career that that provides for both. Meaning, I uh so so that that, that I can have uh, after work hours with my with my son. My weekends are completely for my son. Uh, and then I got the stability uh, to, to uh, be able to provide for, for my family as well. So what that means is that probably at this stage, you won't see me hustling 24-7, building my own startup with no money. Lah. Uh, and I am fine with that. So I'm pretty fortunate that where I am, I have a bit of the best of both worlds as well to be able to 
have the time, have the stability, uh, and also to be able to enjoy. Uh, what and your wife is quite yeah. a high flyer, right? Would you feel that because she had such a, a stable uh, career and was able to provide quite well, you had the opportunity to explore? Yeah, man. I mean, no, no. I mean, uh, more time. My son is a very recent thing, lah. So the son thing is uh, uh, probably not in the consideration. But when we were first married. Uh, she or it was when we were engaged and all that. I was still doing my startup, and she was the one having the stable uh, career and all that. I think at some point she was paying for my petrol at that point. <laughs> but uh, that was that was the those were the days, lah. But uh, right now, um, a bit more balanced. I think uh, we have we have now uh, uh, on the on the on the equal side in terms of uh, the stability and all that. And but it definitely helped at that point of time. She was playing that role while I was exploring and. Uh, Yeah, thank you for that. How important were you, was it for you to have that kind of conversation and expectation setting up front? Uh, we definitely had that. I mean, at the point of time, we did have other commitments like a child or whatnot, so it's easier between both of us. And um, we would. She it was quite clear what I wanted to do, and she was like, "Yeah, it's cool. You can try this out." I mean, I have a. I'm that she she is she had the stable job and all that, so. It wasn't hard. It wasn't a hard conversation, and that the first time I do, we were still quite young. There wasn't too many other considerations, so I I'm also glad that that conversation was at that early stage of our careers. Ah, uh, because before all the other commitments like children comes in, yeah, and then we had a simple wedding because she also wasn't a fan of all the fancy stuff, so that that, that works out as well. So I didn't needed to save a lot of money. Like a lot of people, I think it's a big thing for them. They want to save a lot of wed- a lot of money for like a, a really massive wedding. Um, their choice and it's good, it's good as well, but. Unfortunately, on my end, my wife wasn't that tight. Ah, uh, she just so we we were able to uh, get married pretty much uh, in a more simple uh, manner. Thank you so much for being very open with that. Um, I appreciate it's quite you know intimate questions, but I think that it's it's important for people to know that for you to make such a big shift in your career, it's it's everyone's support right around you, mm, your your correct. wife, your parents, etc., who need to accept that. Um, in your life, you know, maybe there are like some trade-offs that you have to make. Mm. Uh, so I mean, I think that wasn't hard in terms of that that trade-off. Uh, but my wife was it was fairly simple because I guess we were very practical people who calculate our risk quite uh specifically. So we were like, okay, that's fine for now. That's cool. Two years, let's see what happens. I guess the other trade-off is yeah lah. Uh, until today, my parents don't know what I do lah. Uh, and they, they, will, they will probably prefer to introduce their son as a lawyer, lah. But again, honestly, that 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 is as compared to what you would probably go through as a lawyer. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess like now, I just want to finish off with like maybe the future gazing part. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how you still care a lot about social justice. What do you do to contribute still in all these fields, and how does that contribute to your future career goals? I think that's something that I took a long time to reflect. So okay, when I go out, then how do I? Where do I actually place my passions? Right. So, but I think one of the first things that came to mind was like, uh, in fact, there was quite a time also adulting, we're learning about realities of life and what's possible, what's not possible. Uh, what kind of change is possible? Uh, what kind of change is not possible? Uh, that's where I learned that maybe if I cannot change the world, I can change some people's world. Uh, uh, and even starting with my own startup at the point of time, um, and now with my own team and all that, um, I could actually very well implement my own political ideals uh, there and 
and empower the people or run things the way I feel is ideal within my context or make the difference within my context. Uh, and that's something I still hold on to very closely right now. Lah. Another thing is, um, so uh, I found other ways to contribute as well. Um, at the point of time, uh, also around 2018, the election of high school senior, uh, Michelle was running for office uh, in Subang. So then I was also joining uh, that campaign. I was the campaign manager. Uh, and then I, just, I found a bit of my, I, I mean, ways I could contribute in terms of that as well. So eventually I also joined the party. Um, currently I'm a party member, branch chairman. So I have a vote in the party elections as well and that I see as um, like a third vote like, like the primaries in the US as if, if you may kind of like how it's something where you can actually uh, uh, vote for the people you want your party to put in the next elections. So for me, I think that's enough for now. Uh, and I mean, uh, and for me, I also want to, with the commitments and all that, I want to focus on my, what I can do for my family as well. So yeah, I mean, for me, this is currently enough. Mm-hmm. Great. But in the future, um, I'll be open to other opportunities like I'm called to service or what. <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, so I mean, I've asked you a lot of questions in the last hour, but I just want to give you some space to expand on maybe anything else you'd like to share uh, mm. targeted at someone who's trying to, like a confused law student or a mid-career lawyer who's transitioning, what kind of advice or what would you like to say to them? This is a good one. Um, depends on what your situation is, to be honest. Um, but I think um, it's probably important to currently weigh what you are going through as a lawyer. Or is, it, is it like a, is it a, a one-off thing where you are currently having a bad uh, season at work? Or is it something that it's, it's, uh, you can see have, it's troubling you moving into the future, right? I mean, everyone's journey is different. I mean, some lawyers go by fine because they work in the right firm with good bosses. They have uh, good connections and they have so, so, I mean, they, are, they might be going on fine, but for you, how do you foresee yourself if you continue doing this in the next 10, 5 to 10 years? Or uh, how, how would that affect you as a person? How would that affect your mental health? Where you initially see yourself to be? How was the difference there? I think it's important to assess this part of things, right? If, if you feel that if you, co- you continue going down this road, then it's going to be bad for you. Uh, in, in, in all those elements, then it's probably a serious thought that you need to give yourself, lah. Yeah, but if you think that, okay, it will pass after this particular case or this particular, uh, if I change to another firm, maybe, uh, yeah, it's a different situation. Thank you for sharing your perspectives, Jofan. Next time, I speak to Janice. She's a former lawyer who pursued her MBA and is now a human resources specialist at a Hong Kong beauty company. Mm-hmm.